You know, I saw a thing on <clears throat> Facebook that said, which Bible character are you? Have you seen those? I think, I think it would depend upon which day of the week it was, which one I'm, I'm working on that day. <laughs> and I think, you know, when we talk about that, people think, oh, I want to be Paul or Peter or Elijah or one... But do you realize that there's two sides to these people? It's not always this powerful man of God taking on all the powers of hell single-handedly like Superman. You know, you, you look at Elijah, he's up on that mountain. He's dealing with the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, uh, 400 prophets of the groves. He is, he's so full of the Holy Ghost, he's about to explode. You know, he is, he's taking, he's pouring water over the sacrifice. I think it was 12, uh, 12 buckets of water over there. He, he, he lights, God brings the whole thing on fire. He, it, God burns up the sacrifice. He takes on all the false leaders and false religions and, 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 and evil uh, influences and powers single-handedly, and he's super powerful. And then what's he do? He runs to town, outrunning a chariot. He's ahead of a chariot, runs to town. This guy's so full of the power of God, he's, a, he's like a volcano about to erupt. Where was he a few days later? He was hiding from a woman who was after him. Can any men here relate? <laughs> he, was, he was in fear just a couple of days later, this super powerful man of God. And you know why? Because living for God is not always a mountaintop experience. If you've been a Christian very long, you know what I'm talking about when I say the mountaintop and the valley. You've been to both. One of the men of God in more recent times that I've probably have more respect for than virtually any others would be David Wilkerson. And, and I heard him speaking on this subject. And he, he said, he said, Gwen and I went to a conference and he said, I don't know what happened. It was just a conference. I, I spoke. There was, I did a, a, a message on the suffering of Christ. I went and I and I was uh, taking part in the conference as others were speaking, and he said, all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit hit me, and he said, I was on the ground, I didn't know what was happening, my wife thought I had a heart attack, and she, I, he said, I was down there for a long time, and he said, when I got up, I felt so powerful. He said, I knew I would never struggle again in prayer. I would never struggle to, to be able to pray and get an answer. He said, I, I knew I could take on any power of hell. I was ready for it. I was filled with the Spirit of God. And he said, the next thing I knew, I was in six weeks of the biggest valley, the deepest hole that I've ever been in in all of my ministry. And I want to look in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. And I want to tell you that you're not abnormal if you're in the valley. In fact, you're abnormal if you claim to never be in the valley. 
There's something wrong with you if you say you've never been in the valley in your Christian life. Daniel chapter 10. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the same thing as going through a time of depression or, or just an emotional struggle or something horrible happens in your life. I'm trying to talk today more about your Christian experience. Those times when you think God's not listening. He's not even there. Those times when in the silence of your own mind you say, you question and say, am I really even saved? Am I, I, don't, I might not even be saved. I might have gone so far that God is done with me. I might have gone so deep that I can't, that God is, is, is it's just too much. I've sinned too deeply. Most of us have dealt with that. We don't stand up in church and proclaim it, but we've dealt with it. We've been there. Daniel chapter 10, and it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and, a thing, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long. There's a point there. There's a key there. The time appointed was long. And he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh or wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, and I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fire, uh, with fine gold of Euphaz, his body was also like beryl in his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as a lamp of fire and his arms and his feet like in color to pol- polished brass and the voice of the words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quake, quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone And I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me to corruption. And I retained no strength. Yet I heard I the voice of the words, and when I heard the voice of the words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, a man who was just struggling deeply. Remember that? Where he was empty. He was battling. He was struggling. But now this messenger says, A man greatly beloved, understanding the words which I speak unto you, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the Lord thy, uh, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Father, I ask that you'll open our minds and our spirits and help us understand. I pray for those that are in the valley right now. I pray for those who come here, put a smile on their face and shake hands and, and they're feeling empty inside. I pray for those right now. I pray, God, that you will reveal truth and fill us with your spirit this day. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I dealt with this passage not too long ago. But I want to deal with it kind of in a different way. Thinking about where Daniel was. Daniel was a powerful man of God. He prophesied. He stood strong. He proclaimed truth to the, to the, the nation. He was a man that, that people came to to hear the truth of the Word of God. And he was in a battle right here. He was in a spiritual battle. He was, the battle was raging around him. And all he knew, I, this is the way I picture it. I see Daniel going into his prayer closet like he did every day, getting before God and praying and feeling absolutely nothing. There was nothing there. And he's saying, God, are you even hearing me? Are you even out there? Am I, am I even doing what I'm supposed to do? Why am I doing this? Am I just making a fool of myself? This is the way I see Daniel. I may have it all wrong, but based on the way it started this passage, this is what I see this man doing. He's in a battle and he's crying out to God. What he doesn't know is there's war in heaven going on right then. They are, the, the forces of hell are fighting against the forces of God over Daniel. But all he knows is there's nothing here. I'm empty. I'm fighting and there's nothing happening. And I was listening to that message from David Wilkerson and he said, I want you to know, if you're on the mountaintop, don't pitch a tent there. <laughs> he said, don't get comfortable. You're not going to be there forever. And then he said... Every single Christian goes through the valley. Every single one of them goes through that valley. You're going to be there. And he said, the problem is we don't accept that in us because we think it's a lack of faith. We think we're not right. There's something wrong within us. And there might be. If you're in sin, if you're harboring sin, you're going to be in a valley. The Spirit of the Lord will not abide with that sin. He will convict you. He will draw to draw you. But I'm not talking about people in sin. I'm talking about people who are living right, living holy as best they know, and yet they're empty. A man that I've been listening to for 30-some years, uh, Loran Livingston, uh, preached on this years and years ago. I remember the message very well. And, and uh, he said, I went through this time and I don't, don't even know what happened. He said, I would get up week after week and I would preach. And he said, there was nothing in me. I was preaching out of pure emptiness. I don't know what happened. He said, uh, I, I was about to quit. I was about to just give up and walk away. And he's got a church of seven or 8,000 people. And he said, I was about to just walk away. And my, I, I got uh, um, invited to speak at a, at a conference, and he said, I almost said no, but somehow I said yes, I don't even know why. He said, I went there, and he said, I can't tell you what I preached. He said, I was dead. He said, I felt like a dead man trying to preach up there. All I wanted to do was close in prayer and get out of there. I couldn't stand it. And he said, when I, when I closed and I was trying to just get out of the building and get away, a man walked up and tears in his eyes crying and he said, what a powerful message. That was incredible. That message that you just got, gave. And he said, I don't even know, remember what the message was. I just preached it and I don't even know what it was. And he said, I got out of my car and, and Sandra was next to me and he said, I was driving along and he said, I just had a breakdown. He said, I, I had a complete emotional and mental breakdown. 
He said, I lost it. I, I went on a leave of absence from the church. I tried to resign and they wouldn't let me. He said, so I went on a, a leave of absence. And, and I was trying to remember back. And I'm thinking that this leave of absence, as I remember, was a couple of months long. It, didn't, it wasn't a short-term thing. Um, and, and he said that I would cry unto God hours and hours on end and there was nothing there. It was emptiness within me. And he said, I, I, I wanted to just die. I wanted to just shrivel up and go away. And I'm thinking, this is one of the most powerful men of God I've ever known. And he is in this condition. How did that happen? And somewhere, somehow along the line, God healed him. God put him back together. God restored him. And he's been in that church for 40 years now and, and still pastoring there. And you think, what caused that? It's more than just a bad day. But this is one thing I know, that God orders your steps, folks. God ordered Loran Livingston's steps. Why he had to go through that, he may not know until he's in glory. But there was something that God was doing within him. There was something that needed to be tore down, broke down, taken out, changed, moved aside, or something. Something had to be taken out of him. And I know that in my own experience, I've been in those positions where I, I have come to church and I've just thought, why am I here? And somebody would testify and I would, I would just be sitting there thinking, wow, I'm sure glad you got it because I don't got it. There is nothing here. It's a deadness. And I'm not talking about a double-minded man like James talks about. That's a person that changes his mind all the time. Now, we've all met those. They're saved this week. They're not saved this week. They're back a couple weeks later. They're in for a couple weeks, and they're back out again. And they're doing this, and up and down. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a child of God who loves God, and they don't understand why God's not there. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. You look at Jonah, the situation with him. He had problems right off the bat. I think he started out in a valley in that, in that story. As God was calling him to, to do a work, to, 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 to take the, the message to the people. And he said, no, I can't do that. And he took off and he ends up in the belly of a fish. And then God, after three days, has him spit up on the land, and then he goes in. Well, how did he go in? He, came, he went in with the power of God, and he proclaimed the truth. And, an, and a, a city repented before God because of the preaching of this man. I have to believe he was a powerful man at that point. And But just like David Wilkerson said, so often right after those mountaintop experiences is when your deepest valley is going to hit. And he come out of there, and he was mad, he was angry, and he was down. And he sat under a tree, and he cried, God, just kill me. Just take me out. He was just proclaiming the gospel in a, in a, in a city, proclaiming the truth in a city. But see, it's not... Nobody is exempt from this feeling. People that, that I look up to, people like... Uh, A.W. Tozer, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, like I said, David Workerson, Loran Livingston, and, and so many others. They all went through it. And I, I remember David Workerson mentioning one time, he said, 
I worked with Leonard Ravenhill. Anybody remember Leonard Ravenhill? His writings are incredible. Amazing writings. People love his writings even to this day, and he's, he's been dead for 30-some years now. But David Wilkerson said that Leonard Ravenhill was working next to him when he was starting uh, his, his teen challenge in, in New York City. And he said that Leonard would come in and sit at his desk, and they would talk about the valley. And we think, people that know David or Leonard Ravenhill, we think he could never go through a valley. That man was so powerful. He wrote so much and he had so much depth and so much theology and and so much passion and everything. How could he be in that position? But he was. It's not strange to be in that battle. A.W. Tozer said, just bear with me, it's a little long, but I want you to get what he's saying here. Probably nothing else bothers the earnest Christian quite so much as the problem of those dry spells that come to him occasionally. No matter how faithfully he tries to obey God and walk in the light, he can never predict them and he cannot always explain them. And there lies the difficulty. It might comfort one who finds himself in the middle of an emotional desert to know that his experience is not unique. The sweetest and holiest saints whose feet have graced this earth have at some point found themselves there. The book of devotion which have come to us from the past almost all have at least one chapter dealing with what some of them called aridity. Talking about arid, being arid. Uh, Aridity in the Christian life. The very word itself tempts us to smile in sympathy for it so perfectly describes the experience so many of us know only too well. Our hearts feel arid. And nothing we can do will bring, it, bring the rain. It is good to know during such an internal drought that it has been a common experience with the saints. One reason for our distress at, to- at such times is the knowledge that sin is one cause of aridity in our life. We naturally reason that if sin brings drought and we are suffering from a dry spell, then we must have been guilty of sin whether we know it or not. The way to deal with the problem is to remember that sin is not the only cause of dryness. It, after an honest examination of our lives, we are sure that we are not living in a state of disobedience and that no past sin is unforgiven. We may dismiss sin as the cause of our dry condition. We do God no honor and ourselves no good by assuming that we have sinned if we have not. Religion, says the theologians, lie in the will. What our will is to set to do is what really matters at last. Aridity has nothing to do with the will. If any man will, said Jesus, and he did not say if any man feel. Feeling is a play of emotion over the will a kind of musical accompaniment to the business of living. And while it is indeed most enjoyable to have the band play as we march to Zion, it is by no means indispensable. We can work and walk without music, and if we have true faith, we can walk with God without feeling. Normally, we would expect some degree of spiritual joy to be present at most of the time. Fellowship with God is so delightful that it cannot but provide a large measure of joy. But we are talking now about those times when our joy fades out and the presence of the Lord is felt only feebly or not at all. Such times demand that we exercise faith. Moments of great great spiritual delight do not require much faith. If we 
never come down from the mount, mount of blessing, we might easily come to trust in our own delights rather than in the unshakable character of God that is necessary. Therefore, that our watchful Heavenly Father withdraw His inward comforts from us sometimes to teach us that Christ alone is the rock upon which we must repose our everlasting trust. I like that. I wanted to read the whole thing just because it was so good and so applicable to the subject. Once you know that sin is out of the way, you've confessed it, you've repented of it, you are clean before God. It's not a matter whether you feel forgiven or not. You don't necessarily feel forgiven. You don't feel saved. Now, I believe there's times you feel saved. Man, you, you, you feel the Holy Spirit, you feel His guidance, you feel His leading, but what about them times that you don't feel that? That's why we don't base our salvation on feelings. And you know, I don't want to be trite, but that's kind of what that sounds like when you say, well, we go by faith and not by sight. Well, that's easy to say. But there's a funny thing. We all have emotions. Every one of us has emotions. And therefore, emotions play into this thing in our life. Sometimes we just have bad days, or bad weeks, or bad months, or bad decades. We just, <laughs> sometimes we just, we just, hopefully not bad decades. Sometimes we just have bad times, and it'll drag us down spiritually. Intermission. Now, round two. (laughs) Those emotions will get involved with how we, uh, I don't know, perceive our relationship with God. If we don't feel good, if our, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, and our chemicals get out of balance in our brain, it can cause us to feel bad. But I think that's why it's important to remember that the Word of God is not a book about feelings. It's about the law and the the truth of Almighty God. And when we know that God has, we are born again and God has redeemed us and washed our sins away, we can feel like we're not saved, but we can stand on faith that we are. We can feel like things are empty, but God promises He hears you, even when you don't feel like He hears you. And this is another thing about the valley. Don't, set, don't pitch a tent there either, because you won't always stay there. As Tozer was trying to say here, there's a problem if you're always on the mountaintop. We love it up there. We want to live there. God, just put me on the mountaintop and let me enjoy my Christian walk. Every time I pray, I feel like God hears me. Every time I need something, God answers the prayer. When I have a hangnail, I pray for it and it's healed. I mean, everything is awesome. This is great. God, just leave me here. And God says, I love you too much to leave you there. I've got to do something with you and you become worthless when you sit on the mountaintop too long. You're no good up there. I've got to put you in the valley. I've got to rub you the wrong way a little while. I've got to hone those, those rough edges. I've got to, to work you over the coals a little bit to make you to what I can use. <coughs> Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. 
Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. <coughs> you know what he says? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Where was David at? He was in the valley. Here's a man that God calls a man after his own heart. A man that even today Israel holds up as their most esteemed king. You know, a man that so much is said about throughout Scripture. You read the book of Psalms, you realize David spent a lot of time in the valley. He wondered about his life many, many times. <coughs> Whatever that is in my throat needs to go away. His own child was trying to kill him. His own friends were trying to kill him. His kingdom was ripped out from under him a couple times when he had to, to, to flee. And so he's crying out to God. But he said, I waited patiently. We are not a patient people nowadays. God, I prayed five minutes ago. Why don't I have the answer? We want a McDonald's relationship with God. We pull up to the window, push the button and say, God, I need this. And then we come up to the first window and pay them. <laughs> and we get whatever it is. It doesn't work that way with God. <coughs> he does not work by our time frame. He works by His time frame. Amen. We have these, what are those spinner things that I have now to entertain children? Fidget, fidget spinners or some stupid thing. You're supposed to give that to your kids to keep them busy if they like the fidget. And I'd have burned the bearings out of one of those in a day. I, that thing would have been broke down. Does anybody here remember telling your parents that you're bored? That was a bad day, right? You didn't need a fidget spinner. They found work for you to do. Dad, I'm bored. Oh, really, son? <laughs> Your life became very complicated at that point. Things have changed a lot. Nowadays, here, take this little spinner and spin it a while. What? <laughs> One person said if they could spin a spinner, give them a weed eater. <laughs> makes, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, but that. That fact that God is molding us. And when we say, God, I need you to do it right now. God said, no, you don't. You need to relax and stand and I will bring you through. And when you come through on the other side, you'll be more like what I want you to be. That time of patience is not fun. It's never easy. But then David says, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God, and many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. So this is what happened. David was in the valley, but he was being patient. He was crying unto God. He was empty and nothing was going on, but he was patiently crying unto God. And then God brought him up out of that horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. Anybody ever feel like they're there? Oh, I'm miring. I'm stuck. I'm, I, I just can't get anywhere. And I don't know what to do. And then God brings him up out of the miry clay and sets his feet upon what? The rock. Who's the rock? 
Jesus Christ our King, the rock of our salvation. And He sets Him upon that rock. And then He says, He established my goings. And all of a sudden, now He's got a new song. And He's got praises unto the Lord. And He's got a testimony. That's what it says right there. Many shall see it and fear. What is that? The testimony of what God had done for David. We, 4,000 years later, still read about what God did with David. And so, those valleys are important. They're not fun, but they're important. Psalm 3, three says, But Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 42.11 says, Why art Thou cast down, O my soul? And, that, and why art Thou disquieted within me? Hope Thou in the Lord, for I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So what do you do? You recognize what's going on. You're in the valley. You quit thinking you're the only one in the valley because there's a good chance that the person next to you is too. And the person behind you and around you. It happens. Not everybody in the church is on the mountaintop. A lot of people are in that valley. But see, you've got to be patient and you can't stop. The Bible says... Stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Don't let down. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You know, there's, there's been times in my life, in my, I'm telling you the truth, in my Christian life, the only reason I came to church was because I knew as a man of my home I was responsible to do that with my family. I was so empty. I came to church and there was nothing there. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be there. I was fighting a battle within me and I felt like I was losing. But on Sunday morning, I had to stand up as the man of my house and lead my family to church. And I did it. And this was not a six week. I wish I had David Wilkerson six weeks of a drought. I had years of a drought. It was a struggle. It was such a harsh, harsh battle. And I, I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to be around God's people. I didn't want anything to do with it. I'm telling you the truth. I was there. I know what that was. But you don't go like this. You don't become a double-minded man. You made a commitment to Almighty God. See it through the end and be patient and God will bring you out on the other side and make you what He needs you to be. He will do that. You're not going to be in that valley forever. You might think it is forever, but it isn't. Turn the focus back on the Lord. You know how when you're hurting, what do you do? You think about your pain. You think about your pain, your situation, how you're not feeling it anymore. I don't know what's wrong with me. God has abandoned me and it all becomes me, 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 me. What did David do? He praised the Lord. His Praise went outward instead of focusing inward. And we do that when we're hurting. It's a natural reaction. You drop an anvil on your toe, your attention goes to that toe. 100%. Every fiber in your being, head to toe, every hair is focused on that toe right then. That is so natural when you're hurting. When you're spiritually hurting, it can become a vicious cycle when you, that you, you just start to 
think inward about me, about me, about me, about me. You can never come out of the valley if all your attention is on you. The praise has got to go to Almighty God and He will draw you out. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? Well, praising God is the thing that, 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 that lifts us and builds us. we got to wait on the Lord. Be patient in the Lord. Ever been grounded? They didn't ground us much as a kid. What could you do when you were grounded? Just be patient. <laughs> Sit in that room or wherever you were, and just sit there until it was over. When I was in the military, I had a short-timers calendar the second day I was in the military. And I counted off every day. It took me about two days to find out this wasn't what I signed up for. This wasn't exactly the vacation that the recruiter was telling me about. You know what you have to do? You be patient and endure it. And you will come out on the other side. Learn what you have to learn. There have been times when in our life where we were struggling and battling and hurting and, and wondering what to do and how to pay bills and how to make things happen. And Deb looked at me one day and she said, I sure hope we've learned the lesson by now, whatever it is. <laughs> Because if you don't learn the lesson, you might have to go through it again. You know, it's like flunking the test. you got to go through it again until you get it right. But you also have to realize that God loves you enough to put you in the valley. Well, I don't feel very loved when I'm down there. It's all right. Your kid doesn't feel very loved when they're grounded. <laughs> it is not... It's not designed to be easy. It's not designed to be joyful. Romans 8.38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said that. That man who wrestled with his flesh every day, just like you do. That man who had a thorn in the flesh that he begged God to get rid of, and it wouldn't go away. That man who said, oh, those very things that I preach against are the things I'm doing. And the things that I never allow, the very things that I catch myself doing, I can't get this flesh under control. You ever feel like that? <laughs> Come on, flesh, work with me here. And it's not going to. It'll fight against you every single day. But God loves you in the midst of the valley. Amen. And He loves you enough to chasten you and correct you and teach you and train you. And I don't know very much teaching that is easy. See, I've been a cop for quite a while and I'm old. So when they tell me I have to have 40 hours of training a year, I'm very selective. I look at this one and I'm like, oh, they're busting down buildings and fighting and all that. I'm not going to that one. This one over here, I sit in class and drink coffee. That's the one I'm going to. <laughs> I like that. Especially if it says no test. I like that. I'll go to this training over here. Very little training comes without some kind of difficulty with it. That's what training is. It hones and it, it fixes and it mends and it makes you better at what you're doing and none of that is easy. Nobody comes off the street and becomes a Navy SEAL. What is it? Like 
one or two percent of people that try to be Navy SEALs actually make it. And if you ever read about what they do, it's amazing. I don't know how a human could survive it. Uh, Some of them don't. But that's how it is growing up in our Christian faith. It's not always easy. God has to put us through our training steps to bring us to where He wants us to be. So, I want to leave you with this. If you're in the valley, you're not alone. You're not the only one there. We get really good at coming to church and putting on a smile and shaking hands and saying everything is wonderful and ducky, yeah, 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 yeah. And we can be dead inside. We can feel like we're dead inside. We don't know what to do. We put on that front. But I'm going to tell you, if you're in the valley, you're not alone. And I want to tell you that if you're in the valley, God is with you even if you don't feel it. Even if you don't feel God there, the Lord has not abandoned you just because you're in the valley. You're there for a reason. And I want to tell you, if you're in the valley, you won't stay there. God will bring you out of the valley. Do not give up. Luke says, nobody is worthy for the kingdom of God who is turned from the plow. You, you can't turn away. Don't give up. Don't let down. Continue serving God. And remember that you cannot get away from the love of God. He will hunt you down. He will go after you. He will pull you in. He will draw you back to Him. Can we stand together and pray, please? Lord, I'm looking to You right now in the name of Jesus and all of my imperfection, all of my inability. I pray that You will speak to people's hearts what I was unable to speak verbally, Lord. I pray that You'll touch us in our very being in the very depths of our being and we feel so empty and so alone and hopeless in our walk with you lord i pray for those right now that you'll give them the strength to stand give them the strength to not give up and not throw in the towel give them the strength to come through lord i pray for them Across this congregation, Lord, I pray that your hand will be upon each one. Speak to every heart and soul, each and every one. Prepare them and make them ready.